February, I will have served here as a senior pastor for nine years. And nine years ago, 2014, whenever I came to Calvary, I met a young man by the name of Lil Bobby Watts. And uh, that's how we've known him. Uh, We've watched him grow up here at Calvary, and we've invested in him, and he has uh, been used of the Lord. We we realized that uh, early on that uh, that Bobby had convictions and uh, desire to preach, and he expressed that several years ago. And as a church, we licensed him to the ministry, the gospel ministry of Christ. And then he went away to uh, Williams Baptist College, and you've been there for two years, and uh, he's back here, and he is now um, a student at Bethlehem seminary out of uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and um, God has just moved him and Maddie. Maddie and uh, Bobby are expecting their first baby coming up in March. Is that is it March is the date? So making sure I get all my dates right, I'll get corrected later. And, um, and so I asked him to preach, and we get to be part of this journey uh, of watching God um, call young men to the ministry, and God's been doing that here at Calvary for a long time. And if you think about it, uh, who serves on your staff right now, you have Matt McLean, and God used him, used Calvary to uh, nurture him, to disciple him, and now he's in ministry. John Michael Poulin was a young man who was bust here as a kid, and God saved him through the ministry of Calvary, called him to preach here. Cliff Johnson is another one, and many other uh, other guys who are serving in capacities all across uh, all across America have come through Calvary, and it's been a neat thing to see how God's continuing to be faithful. So just know, when you see Brother Bobby this morning come up here and preach, you're seeing the faithfulness of God to call young men to preach, and he's using Calvary Baptist Church as a vessel, as a way to, uh, as an agent that God is using to uh, raise up young men for the glory of God. And so, Brother Bobby, come and church make Brother Bobby feel welcome this morning. Good morning. It is a uh, honor and a privilege to be here this morning. I'm going to get emotional. I already know it. I told Brother Brother Greg this, this week... This is going to be a hard thing for me to do because of the blessings that God has brought our family, the many years that I've been here. God has been so kind to me in my sin to bring men like Brother Greg and Josh Howard and and many more men to just guide me along my way in this this journey of faith. And like Brother Greg said, me and my wife, Maddie, have been in uh, Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, just a rice field for the last couple of years where we were see, I was seeking a degree in Christian ministry, and I thought that's where God had us to, uh, to finish my, my bachelor's degree. And, and a couple months ago, I, I met an old friend, and he told me about Bethlehem and College and Seminary, and uh, we decided to pick our small family up and move back home to finish my degree there. And uh, pray for me. I start Tuesday. I'm really excited what God's doing, but I'm nervous to uh, go meet new people, but I'm always excited for the opportunity. As, as Billy Greg said, we are expecting our, uh, our baby in March, and we are so, so excited. Her name will be Alethea Marie, and Alethea uh, is a Greek name, and I've been taking Greek in, in my classes, and, and Greek means truth, and God has been teaching us so much truth through the three years we've been married. 
He's been so kind to us in times of, of struggle, and we're so happy to bring this baby next month. So if you would continue to pray for us through this time of, of having a baby and, and moving and all the excitement that brings. So enough of me. Let's, let's turn in our, in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 as we pick up there. One of my first lessons that I got to preach here at Calvary was to the youth, and one of the first one was this uh, passage in Ephesians 2. And I started my lesson with saying second Ephesians. So I'm off to a good, good start this morning. Uh, the book of Ephesians is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. And this passage in Ephesians chapter two is probably my favorite passage in the Bible. It's just such a clear picture of the gospel, who we were in Christ and who we now are. It's important, though, that we, when we read any passages of Scripture that we first look at the context of the passage. So in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul lays it out there that this book, this letter that he's writing to the church at Ephesus is to saints. He's writing to believers there in Ephesus. That is important for context's sake to know who he is talking to. It's going to be important when we begin to read in our passage this morning. So Paul is writing to saints to saints in Ephesus and he wants to encourage them. He wants them to cling to Christ so they can continue in a faith striving after Christ, clinging to him. And that's important for us today in this church who are professing Christians as well that we would also continue to strive after Christ. Paul is trying to get them to understand that this is a journey. It's a marathon rather than a sprint. That's the title of today's message, a marathon rather than a sprint. Paul knows that they're going to go through times of, of conflict and persecution. But if they can just cling to Christ, if we can just cling to Christ, we can make it through. I heard a story a couple weeks ago about a seminary uh, president. He, he had about, hit an age about 35. He had been a Christian for a long time now. And, and he woke up one morning and realized that he is no longer just in love with Jesus. He had just become a professional Christian, as he said. He did all the things. He went to church. He preached. He did the, the role of a Christian. But he no longer felt the love that Christ brought. And Christ brings us love. And he went on this journey to fall back in love with Jesus. And this morning, I pray that you would just fall back in love with Jesus and continue on in this marathon of faith. And remember, this is a lifelong journey striving after Jesus and not just a short-term sprint of satisfaction. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6, we're going to look at three different questions this morning. The first one is, who, who were we? The second is, what love is this? And thirdly, what then must we do? So if you'll read with me in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at works and the son of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Pray with me this morning. God, I'm so thankful to be able to bring your word this morning. God, we know that your word is living and true, God, and I pray that we would do it justice 
by preaching through this passage, God, by studying and seeing who you are and why you would include this passage in your word, God. And God, I pray that I would step out of your way this morning, Lord, and that you would speak your word, God. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul here, being guided by the Holy Spirit, as we know all Scripture is, is breathed out by God, Paul, being guided by the Holy Spirit, talks in past tense, talking about who they once were, and you were dead in your trespasses, pointing back to this context of speaking to saints. He wants them to understand who they were in Christ first so they can continue on in this marathon of faith. These people were dead in their trespasses. They were lifeless towards God. They had no inclination to do Christ-honoring things. They, they were completely and totally depraved. Paul wants them to understand their state before God. They were in sin. They once walked in this. Paul is, is expressing this, and in, in the book of Romans, he's clear that these wages of sin and death, that these wages of sin lead to death. Their sin puts them in a dead state towards Christ. In verse 2, he says, these, these believers were not different from anything that we have today. They were just following the course of the world. In verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, world, following the prince of the power of the air. They didn't have any different struggles than we did today. They, they went to the marketplace. They went to work. They met people around them. And they were just following the sins of that day. I think so many times of the sins that we've fallen to, the, the things that this world has to offer that just look so much better to Christ in our sinful states. And Paul is still pu pushing that point of you were once there. You were once following the course of this world. And better yet, you were following the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. You were following Satan before you were following our beloved Savior. Christians, think back. That was you. So quickly we went through verse 1 and 2, but I think of the church there in Ephesus as they've received this letter and, and Paul has giving them this uh, message of who they were before Christ and, and how they were sinful and, and they didn't um, have any inclination toward Christ because they were dead in Him. And I, think, I wonder if the church just seems so down and depressed of, of the, the weightiness that Paul is writing to them. And then he continues in verse 3 by saying, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, the, uh, the ESV says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and, why by, and were by nature children of wrath. Paul still using past tense, talking to believers, pointing to who they were, tells them, hey, not only were you lifeless towards, towards God, not only were you just acting like the non-believers of that day, but they were your passions. You desired that. Romans 1 tells us that God gives them, the non-believers, up to the passions of their flesh. It is the passion of the non-believer to sin. They have no inclination towards Christ. They are happy in their sin. And so were we before Christ, before we had Christ in our heart. Paul is wanting them to understand the lifelessness they showed towards Christ. They, he wanted them to understand that these were the passions of their flesh so that one day when persecution came, they could cling to Christ and remember the things He has done. 
And that's what we look at in verse 4 and 5. What love is this? Who were we? We were sinful, completely depraved non-believers who had no love for Christ. And then what kind of love does he show? We see in verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Wow, what, what words Paul uses. But God, you're this way, it's terrible, but then God steps in and completely changes things. Right in the middle of Paul explaining to them how terrible things are, how terrible things are before you are with Christ, he completely shifts the focus back to God, back to what God has done. And he did it when they were still sinners, when they were still enemies of the cross. What beautiful love is this that God would show enemies of the cross. I got to do a paper this last semester and uh, it was over. I got to do one over sin offerings. And boy, that was a tough paper to write. It was a very redundant paper because it was constantly, well, if he sins, then you sacrifice this animal and this blood you take and you sprinkle here. And then if he does this sin, then you sacrifice it and, and you sprinkle it here. And, and it was very, a very tough paper to pull some, some thoughts from. But I, I, God was so gracious to me and taught me about his plan for redemption. You see, the Israelites had just come out of cap, cap, captivity. And they are wandering, trying to understand how they can follow God. So God gives them some rules. And, and, and these rules were good for them because they knew how they can be in God's will and how they can be out of God's will. And God, through His grace, made a way for them to be made right before Him again through sacrifice. See, God would be completely just by just striking them there in their sin because God cannot be near sin. But instead of God just striking them there, he makes a way for them to be made right before him through these sin offerings. So this beautiful passage in Leviticus is, is so true for this passage as well. And the same is true for Adam and Eve back in chapter three. They sinned in the garden when they're asked not to. And they are plunging into this curse. And instead of God just saying, forget it, I'm done he then makes a promise. I know things are bad right now, but there's going to be a day that my son is going to come and fix all this. And we got to talk about that a little bit this morning in our Sunday school class about the genealogy. And it's just a promise of God fulfilling his promise of Jesus. As Jesus comes and, and fulfills this promised seed and is killed on a cross, so enemies of the of the cross can be made sons and daughters. I love the song, His Mercy is More. And uh, for your sake this morning, I'm just going to read this rather than sing it. But uh, the, the first verse is just so beautiful to me. He sa it says, What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. What a beautiful song. Though this is just a song, but it has so many scriptural applications and so many for our passage here today. We were dead in our trespasses. We were following Satan himself. We were children of wrath. 
But God steps in. God sends His Son out of His celestial perfect throne room to, be, to come down and be born in a manger. We got to celebrate that a couple weeks ago. Be born in a manger. And then He grows up and lives this perfect life. And at 30 years old, He begins His ministry, roughly. And the moment He begins His ministry, He knows that it's not going to be long until He has to face the cross. But He finds 12 friends and He calls them to follow Him. And one of his friends named Judas, who was there for most of the, the miracles that Jesus presents to the world so they will know that he is the Christ, still sells him for 30 pieces of silver. Right after he sold and arrested one of his other friends, one of the closest friends named Peter denies him three times. Do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? No. Do you know that man? No. Denies him three times. Jesus is arrested, taken to trial before his own native people where they cry out for a criminal to be released. Give us Barabbas, they say. Take this man. They ask him, what should we do with Jesus? And they say, crucify him. He's a blasphemer. Jesus is taken to the cross. He's crucified. And three days later, he walks out of that grave. He's beaten and mocked. And it doesn't matter because he knows he's going to conquer sin and death. And now believers can be called sons and daughters who were once enemies of the cross. That's what Paul is wanting them to understand. Hey, you were sinners. You people knew Jesus and may have even been there. But now he has made this way for us to be called sons and daughters. So in times of persecution, remember Jesus. Cling to Jesus. A true believer understands what Christ has done for them because of the Holy Spirit that, that dwells in with them. So then, what must we do? We were sinner, sinners, enemies of the cross. What love sends its own Son to die on behalf of sinners, even while they were dead sinners? Well, what then must we do? See, Christ doesn't ask us to do too much, considering what He did on the cross. He just asks us to follow Him in salvation, believe in His Son. Secondly, He calls us to baptism. If you've been saved, then seek the Lord in baptism. And lastly, the non-negotiable, follow Him in discipleship, pursuing Him. And that's, that's what Paul is really explaining to them is discipleship. And if you are here this morning and don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you about that. And if you're a Christian this morning and, and you, you've professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior but never followed Him in baptism, I pray that you do that this morning. But Christian, if you're here this morning and not in discipleship, that is very important. The, the great theologian, uh, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I can feel a smile on Josh's face as I say his name. Uh, if you know, you know. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The call to discipleship isn't an easy call, but it's a call that Christ puts on us when we become the believers. Look with me in verse 6. Verse 6 says, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. There's assurance in this call. Though Christ might call us to death, we have assurance that we will be with Him. This Paul is speaking here in a completed action. He raised us up past tense with, uh, with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places. 
If you're a Christian this morning, your assurance is in Christ. You have now been seated with Him in heaven. If you were to die today, you'll be in glory tomorrow. The last couple of years, I've got to serve as the youth pastor at Prospect Missionary Baptist Church. And uh, it's, it's been an honor. And we've been going through the book of John and I've learned so much just getting to teach through it. But the very end of John, Jesus is, is sitting there with Peter and, he, and he's, try, he's redeeming Peter for denying him three times. And Jesus comes to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And he goes through this three different times, redeeming Peter. And at the very end there, Jesus says something quite remarkable. And I think it's going to be on the screen. John 21, 18 through 19, Jesus tells Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, has to glor- he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter just got his death sentence laid out before him. To follow me means to die. Jesus tells them, if you're going to be my disciple, count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus. All of us are not going to be called to lay down our life, but if that's what we're called to, then we need to remember Christ and the assurance He has given us. That even if it brings death to follow Jesus, then we're going to be seated with Him. He makes sons, He makes enemies of the cross, sons and daughters. And one day we can stand before Him if we are in Christ and He can say, Enter into eternal rest, my good and faithful servant. That is what Paul wants them to cling to. He wants them to understand who they were. Sinners, estranged from God. He wants them to understand what love God showed toward them. But he wants them to understand they're on a mission and a marathon. And they must cling to Jesus in order to continue along in this marathon of faith. So this morning, do you have this assurance that even if you were to die today, that you would get to stand in eternal rest with our Lord and Savior? If you don't, I would love to talk to you about that. Do you know that Christ came and died on behalf of sinners and that you can stand in His presence one day? Christian, if you know that, are you following the Lord in discipleship? Are you a part of group time? Are you a part of all the things that Christ calls us to be a part of? Reading your Bible, praying, and just seeking His faith, following in love with Jesus. Not just being a professional, mundane Christian. Because it's not something you can do today and turn off the rest of the week. It's a lifestyle. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So you pray with me this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you've done, God. Thank you for allowing me to come and preach your word, God. Thank you for allowing me to to just love you, God. God, I pray that this morning that your word went out, God, and you will work in those hearts that hurt it, God. I pray, Lord, that I was able to get out of your way, Lord, and let you work, God. God, we pray that we bring all honor and glory to you, Father God, because at the end of the day, if we don't do that, it's not worth it, God. God, you deserve all the honor and glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.